we thank you this evening, Father, for this opportunity, Father, to be used of you. And Lord, I pray, Lord God, that you use this vessel, this weak, this imperfect vessel, and speak through these lips of clay to speak forth your will tonight. And Father, we pray, Father, for your presence in this house. May your Holy Ghost speak to everyone and stir up our hearts tonight. Lord, where your Holy Spirit challenges us tonight. And Father, that you may stir us up to be doers of your word and not just hearers only. And Father, we thank you for your presence. May you fill this room with your glory and with your power and with your presence. And let us feel and experience your presence here tonight. And for this, Lord, we thank you. In your precious son's name we pray. And everyone say, Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you or your electronic devices, if you'll turn over to 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to begin reading from verses 1 through 3. 1 John chapter 4, beginning verse 1, right on through verse 3. Let me begin reading. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Say the world with me world by this you know verse 2 the spirit of god every spirit that confesses that jesus christ has come in the flesh is of god verse 3 and every spirit that does not confess that jesus christ has come in the flesh is not of god and this is the spirit of the antichrist which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world say the world Praise the Lord. Tonight we're going to be speaking on the subject concerning the world that we live in. And the title of this message, as you see in the screen, not of this world. And it's a known fact that the farther down you go into the ocean, the greater, uh, the more pressurized the ocean becomes. If you go deep inside the ocean the more you're going to be crushed and flattened like a pancake because of the ocean's pressure. In other words, the deeper you go, the greater the pressure. Now, when back, and I'm not sure exactly when this was, but when they finally found the location of the Titanic, they sent divers down there to investigate and to explore the wreckage. But in order for them to go down into the bottom of the ocean, they had to go into one of those small mini-subs that have been pressurized. If a diver was to go down into the bottom of the ocean without the sub, he would be completely destroyed because the pressure in his body is less than the pressure of the water. Amen? In other words, his body would collapse because of the pressure of the ocean. And even though the ocean and the pressure are trying to squeeze and trying to crush against the sub, it cannot because the sub has been pressurized. Because greater is the pressure in the sub than the pressure outside of the sub. Which means that the diver can go deeper and deeper into the ocean and still feel safe and secure because the pressure on the inside is greater than the pressure on the outside. 
When Christians leave church every Sunday, they leave into a world facing pressure. Many Christians are under pressure in their jobs. There's pressure at home. And they're under constant pressure under many different circumstances of life. Because of this pressure, many people develop migraine headaches because the pressure is too great. Many of them are in a state of, of, of constant stress because the pressure is too great. Some people even become sick or become depressed because the pressure is too great. But here's the thing. A diver cannot say to the ocean to stop pressurizing them. Because that's the nature of going deep into the ocean. In the same way that a a Christian can't tell the world to stop pressurizing them. Because that's the nature of going deep into the world. The deeper you go, the greater the pressure there is. And understand that the world will not stop pressuring you. As a matter of fact, you can say that the world cannot help but to pressure you. But here's the good news. There's a pressure inside of you that is greater than the pressure inside or outside of you. If you're still in uh, 1 John chapter 4... Look at verse 4. Because if you go deep on the inside, then when you're pressured on the outside, guess what? You won't cave in. You won't buckle under pressure. You won't give in to the pressure. Why? Because verse 4 says this. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Why? Because he who is greater in you is greater than he who is in the world. Now, that word greater in the Greek literally means larger. So, in other words, he who is in you is larger, bigger, and mightier than whatever or whoever you face in life. In other words, God has equipped us to withstand any pressure in this world. Why? Because God has pressurized us with his Holy Spirit. Come on now. Now, you may not be able to change your environment. And you may not be able to change the circumstances that are pressuring in your life. But know this. If God, if you have enough God inside of you, then the pressure that comes against you on the outside, then God, by his spirit, will neutralize Whatever pressure comes against you. Are you hearing me? Which means that you can exist in this world. You can exist in your circumstances. You can exist in your environment and not be crushed by it. Because the pressure that is in you is greater than the pressure that comes against you. It'll neutralize whatever pressure you face. To give you an example, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 in verses 8 and 9. 
Paul understood what it meant to be under pressure, yet not give in to the pressure. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 8, listen to what it says. Verse 8 says, we are hard-pressed on every side. Not on one side, not on two sides, but on every side. Which means that wherever he turns, there was pressure. But I like how he responds, yet not crushed. He says, we are perplexed. The word perplexed means to be at a loss. To, uh, to, to not know which way to go. It also means having no resources. Have you ever been there before? Where you didn't know which way to go? Where there was no way out? When, you have, when you're suffering loss and you're out of resources? That's what the word perplexed means. But yet he says, but not in despair. He says in verse 9, Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. When you and I were called into this new life with Christ, know that we will face many obstacles, if we haven't already. And one of the biggest obstacles that you and I will face, or are facing, is the culture that is in this world. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? Even Jesus warns us of the, of the challenges that you and I are going to face in this world when he says in John 16, that in this world you will face tribulation. Now, that word tribulation in the Greek is the word thlipsis, which is translated into the English words afflictions, anguish, trouble, burdens, and persecution. But what's interesting about this Greek word is it derives from another Greek word, which is translated into the English word pressure. So Jesus says, in this world, you will have pressure. Go with me to John chapter 17, beginning in verse 14. And let's look at the prayers of Jesus. Now, Jesus was praying for his disciples. And this was just before he gave his life. But he wasn't only praying for his disciples because in verse 20 he says, I don't pray for just these, but I also pray for those who believe. So this prayer is also for us. And he says this in verse 14, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Verse 15, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world but that you should keep them from the evil one. Verse 16, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Notice how many times Jesus uses the word world here. This word world in the Greek is the word cosmos. And this word describes something that is fashioned or ordered. It signifies the idea of of systems and institutions such as fashion, education, politics, and entertainment, etc. In any society that you and I live in function. It is a system of this age that excludes God. It is also a system that exists independent of God. 
and is designed to leave God out of it. Okay, just to get an idea what this world means, what this word world means. It is a system that is also under the rule and control of Satan. And that's important to know. Because in this system, because he's under the control of it, the world follows uh, Satan's agenda. 1 John 5, 19 says, we know that we are of God. And he says, and the whole world is under the sway or the power of the wicked one. So this, that means that this system consists of evil, immoral, and sinful lifestyle and values that is in rebellion against God. An example of these, of these world systems are places like where you work. Also in schools and in uh, universities. Also in, in, in clubs like, like uh, I don't know, special clubs and societies that you may belong to. In all these other systems. In other words, it represents all of the human systems in the world. And Satan, who controls and rules this world system exercises his greatest influences in these worlds using the world's ideas, science, morality, philosophy, psychology. He also uses the world's science. He uses the world's government, culture, entertainment, music, education, and so forth and so on, all to oppose God, his word, his people, and his righteous standard. This word cosmos is Satan's arena where he attempts to use his ungodly influences. Let me give you an example. The devil will use the medical profession to promote and to justify the killing of unborn babies. I was listening to John Hay, a message by John Hagee. It was unbelievable when he said that 4,000 babies are murdered every day in this country. And what's worse, it's not even legalized. There's no law against it. There is a spirit being behind that. Again, describing this world system that we live in. Another thing that the devil will use is the educational systems. And he'll use that to promote ungodly and humanistic philosophies to our children, our teens, and even college students. He'll also use the the media or the entertainment world to to undermine the biblical moral standards and values that we believe in. And although the Bible says that we are not, that we don't, even though we live in this world, we are not of this world. And therefore we are to be different from this world. Colossians 1.13 says this, that God through his son delivered us from the power of darkness And translated us into a new kingdom, a new world. The kingdom of the son of his love. That's the world that you and I belong to. And as believers, we need to be aware that behind many of these human enterprises or human institutions, there is a spirit that is moving against God and his word. Some to a lesser degree, others to a greater degree. But know this, these spirits are very active even as we speak today. This is real. 
That's why John opens up in 1 John 4 and verse 1 when he says, Don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits. Now, go back to 1 John chapter 4. And let's go back and look at verses 1 through 3 again. And let's look at some of the warnings that we see in the Bible about this world. Uh, can, um, Mike, uh, the clock is not visible there. I might be speaking, it might be 10 o'clock, so I don't know. <clears throat> the first thing we see here in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1, one of the warnings about this world says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Why? Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, another word for false prophets is religious imposters. Even Jesus warns us about these religious imposters in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15 when he says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, while inside they are ravenous wolves. These are imposters that will come to your church and promote and to push false teachings and false prophecies. In our churches, and the Bible says there are many who have gone out into the world, so they're not just here, they're all over the place. They come to misrepresent God and his word with all these false teachings. That's why we are to test the spirits rather than to believe it first. Then the second thing, skip down to verse 3. It says, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist which you already have heard was coming and now is already in the world. The second thing he warns us about is the spirit of Antichrist. That word Antichrist means one who is an opponent of God. That means that we have spirits in this world that opposes everything that is of God. We have in these worlds, these are, these are the same spirits that are anti-God and anti-Christian. And they're everywhere. They're in your schools, they're in your workplace, they're in our governments. They're everywhere. And it's because of these spirits that are in this world and their institutions and people who push their anti-God um, agenda into all of these institutions. He says, beware of them. Look quickly to James chapter 4 and in verse 4. Another warning that we receive about this world is becoming friends with this world. James chapter 4 and verse 4. Notice how James starts out with very strong language. And keep in mind that he's talking to Christians. He says, adulterers and adulterers, ad adulterers and adulteresses. Say, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So if you are a friend of the world, the Bible says that you become an enemy of God. It also says that it is enmity towards God. That word enmity simply means 
uh, one who is opposing, uh, opposes God or one who is hostile towards God. So if you become a friend of the world, then you're becoming a friend with a system that is hostile towards God and that opposes God. In other words, you've taken your side with God. I mean, with, with the world. And therefore, you become an enemy to God. That word friendship simply means fondness. Have you ever been fond of something or fond of someone? It means to have an affection for someone or to like someone. It also means to have an attachment to someone or devotion to someone or something. When you become a friend to the world, you've attached yourself to the world. You become affectionate to the world. And you know, when you're affectionate to something or someone, especially someone, you spend more of your time with that person. Your attention is more to that person. So when you become a friend with the world, you become attached and devoted to it rather than being attached and devoted to God. And just to show you the seriousness of this warning, I want to read this to you from the Amplified Version. If you can just put that uh, version up on the screen, the Amplified of James 4.4, listen to what it says. Listen carefully. He says, You are like unfaithful wives or husbands, having illicit love affairs with the world and breaking your marriage vow to God. Let's read that again. You are like unfaithful wives or husbands having illicit love affairs with the world and breaking your marriage vow to God. When you become a friend of the world, it's like having an affair with a mistress. And again, I'm, I'm just letting you know how serious these scriptures are when it comes to warnings about being a friend of the world. He's talking about spiritual adultery. And spiritual adultery simply means turning away from God and turning to the world. It's like having an affair. It's breaking your commitment to God. It's breaking your covenant relationship with God. That's how serious God sees this. He says, do not be a friend of the world. And it shows us, it tells us how, how serious our relationship with Christ is and how meaningful our relationship with Him is. Because our relationship is like a marriage covenant. And whenever we become a friend or, or, or show our affection or our attention to something other than God, then God sees it in His Word as spiritual adultery. Try to reason that in your head. So when you develop a friendship with the world, you have made a choice as to who you're going to bond with, as to who you're going to make covenant with. Matthew 12 and verse 30, Jesus says this, He that is against me, or I should say, he that is not with me, is against me. And speaking of love affairs, go back to 1 John and go to chapter 2 and verse 15. 
We are not to be friends with the world. We are not to attach ourselves to this world system. We are not to be affectionate towards this world system. But our affections, our attention, our devotion should always be towards God. Our commitment, our covenant should be with God. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, John says this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now we are told that we are not to love two things, the world and the things that are in the world. Why are we not to love the world and the things in the world? Well, John answers that question right here in that same verse. He says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. When we fall in love with the world, it's going to cost us something. And the cost is losing our love for the Father. And notice that John doesn't make any exceptions because he says, if anyone loves the world, that means it doesn't matter who you are. You can be a pastor, you can be a, a, a church leader, or you can be just a, a lay person. Anyone. This includes anyone who falls in love with the world will lose his love for the Father. You know, it's, Jesus himself said this, it's impossible to love or serve two masters. You're either going to serve one and ignore the other. You're always going to love one over the other. And understand this, that the world's in competition for the love of Christians. They want us to love the world. And here's the thing, there are many Christians that want to be accepted by the world. They want to be recognized by the world. But the Bible says we are not to love this world. Because if we love the world, then again we're committing spiritual adultery. We're breaking a covenant with God because we found something that we love more than God. And therefore, we lose the love of God. Let me tell you what First John 2.15 really say, is saying. Let me tell you what God is really saying. He's saying this. Do not love the world or you'll lose me. While you're in also First John chapter 2, go down in verse 16. Another thing that the world, uh, that the Bible warns us about this world, and is that, that the world is a sinful world. This world, everything in this world is incompatible with God. And the reason being because everything that is in this world is not of God. 1 John says this in verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now let me take a few minutes to, explain, uh, uh, to just touch on each one of these. First, he talks about the lust of the flesh. Well, what is that? The lust of the flesh is having impure desires or cravings that are outside of God's will. It's running after sinful pleasures and sensual gratification that satisfy the flesh. Now, keep in mind that not everything that we desire is sinful. It's just that when we desire it more than God, that's when it becomes sinful. Then it becomes an illegitimate desire because we crave it more than we crave God. The second thing is the lust of the eyes. Now, this refers to a coveting or lusting after things, a desire for material things, things that you've got to have, 
things that you have to have. Have you ever felt like you needed to have something? Have you needed, have you felt like you've got to have this? It's having something that is attractive to the eyes that is forbidden by God. It's a desire to have stuff. And what's unfortunate is that there is, this is why so many people, including Christians, that are up to the eyeballs in debt because of their desire for stuff. And that's at the expense of taking care of their families, at the expense of taking care of their priorities. And what's even tragic is that Christians are not able, are not able to, to honor God with their tithes and offerings because they're in so much debt because of their desire for stuff. That instead they honor the MasterCards and Visas. Now keep in mind, and don't misunderstand what I'm saying, God is not talking about having stuff in this world. He's talking about loving the things in this world. There's a difference. When you love something more than God, that's when it becomes a sin. That's when it becomes a problem with God. And you know, a Satan will always cause you to try to fall in love with God, uh, the, the, with the world, by pushing pleasures. You know, when we watch TV... TV is a great way of, of promoting stuff that wants, that, that wants you to have something. Oh, i got to have that. I've got to have this. Well, I've got to get this car. Because they're constantly advertising all these things that you want to have and probably cannot afford to have. But if you allow Satan to draw you in, you're going to end up spending money that you don't have. And even though you may enjoy the pleasures of life, it's only for a little while until the tax collector or the bill collector comes and collect your car or the things that you buy because you can't pay it anymore. Then there's the pride of life. And this refers to a subtle pride and arrogance that is often associated with wealth or material abundance. It also refers to someone pursuing positions of power illegitimately. Or someone who's seeking personal achievements. Or someone who has a a self-sufficient, independent attitude. These are spirits that always seek to glorify themselves. Seek to promote themselves and seek to exalt themselves. It is a spirit that says, it's me and mine. So these are the three things. When you develop a friendship with the world. And when you begin to love this world and the things of this world. This will kill your relationship and your experience with God quickly. And if you are not experiencing God like you used to, you might want to ask yourself, where does my love lie? And who am I friends with? It's a good time to really look at that. One last thing we want to look at. Concerning this world and and the warnings of this world. Go to Revelations chapter 12 and verse 9. How many of you know that we live in a world that is full of deception? We live in a world that is very deceived. This is a very deceived world. And because Satan is ruler and, and, and controlling this world, we live in a world that is under this thick cloud of deception. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 4 that 
the God of this world has blinded the unbelievers of this world. We're not talking about a physical blindness. We're talking about a spiritual blindness. A veil that he put across their face or their minds so that they can't see or perceive what is truth. All they see is what the devil wants them to see. And all they believe is what the devil wants them to believe. So they've been blinded. Look what Revelation 12, 9 says. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who what? Deceives the whole world. And he was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Now go quickly to Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8. I'm sure that you know that Satan has angels working around the clock throughout the whole world, trying to keep the whole world deceived. In 2 John 1, 7, you don't need to turn there, but it says, For many deceivers are entered into the world. We're talking about many deceivers throughout the whole world that Satan has placed in order to keep the world under deception. Colossians 2.8 says this, and keep in mind, this is not a letter not only to the Colossian church, this is also a letter written to you and I, Faith Christian Center. It says, see to it that no one takes you, Faith Christian Center, captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on God's tradition. No, human tradition. And the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God in the garden. All of Genesis chapter 3 begins to explain everything that they've lost. All because of deception. And these losses, all of mankind is suffering today. But before Satan interfered with their lives, God had given them everything that they could ever want and everything they could ever need. God gave Adam the perfect job where he didn't have to break a sweat or break his back or face any type of stress that so many of us face in our jobs. He didn't have to look for a wife because God made him the perfect wife. Both Adam and Eve never had to struggle with their spiritual lives because they were born or they were created perfect without sin and they had the perfect relationship and personal communication with God himself. But the moment they disobeyed God, they suffered tremendously. And they suffered some great devastating physical losses. For instance, the curse that had come upon them because of their disobedience, each fell upon them which involved pain, sweat, and labor. Also, what came upon them was sickness and disease and economic hardships which became their portion. Not to mention the fact that they also suffered a physical death. And that's what's so tragic about it because they were created to be eternal beings. But because they disobeyed God, the curse fell upon them and they lost everything that they had with God. They were alienated and separated from God. That's what we call spiritual death. When God called Adam and Eve, they ran and hid from God in shame for the first time in their lives. Instead of running to God, they began to run away from God. And all because of deception.
Go with me to chapter, Romans chapter 12 and verse, verses 1 and 2. Let's talk about the dangers of worldliness. How many of you know what that means, worldliness? We've heard the term. We, we hear it all the time. We, we say it all the time. But do we really mean what it, uh, know what it means? The word worldliness simply means conformity to the patterns of this world. Romans 12 verses 1 and 2 says this. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And he says this, Do not be conformed to this world, verse 2, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In other words, what Paul is saying is, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Why? Because Jesus says we are not of this world. And if we are not of this world, therefore we are not to be subject to the things of this world. That word to be conformed is just another way of saying, don't be pressured by the world to exclude God in your life. When we spend so much time and energy trying to be like everybody else, then it becomes very difficult for us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. Worldliness simply means relating to or devoting yourself to the things of this world. I was not going to say this, but I think I should say this. We all know that the sex industry is one of the biggest money-making business in the world. And it's because of that we have sexual temptation that is running rampant throughout the, throughout the world. And because of these sexual uh, temptations that has become so rampant, there are people who are weak or struggling in this area who may want to have those desires fulfilled. But can I be bold with you tonight? If putting another notch on your belt makes you feel like a man, then you become just like the world. You just conformed yourself to the world. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Let me give you an example here. <clears throat> an example of worldliness. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 10, it says, For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed to Thessalonica. Let me stop there. Now, Demas has been mentioned, is only mentioned three times in the Bible by the Apostle Paul in his letters. The first two times he mentions him was in a positive note call him a fellow laborer and a co-worker with him in ministry. Demas was also with Paul during his first imprisonment. But the third time he mentions Demas in his letter, which is the last time, was in a negative tone. Because he had left or abandoned uh, Paul. Why? Because he fell in love with the world. He left the work of God and the man of God. Because he fell in love with the world. When we fall in love with the world, the world will cause us to abandon our priorities and everything that is important and meaningful to us, which is pursuing God and his purpose. You need to check, let's check ourselves. Ask ourselves, do we really love the world more than God? Are our affections towards the world, is it, or is it towards God?
But he had a choice. His choice was to follow the world because he fell in love with it. He felt that the world had more to offer him than serving in the ministry and serving God. Now we all know that there are many distractions in this world. How many of you know that? There are many distractions in this world. I was reading a story about a person who was walking along the street on Fifth Avenue in New York. And as he was walking, he stopped to look at this uh, store window because he saw this lifelike mannequin that caught his attention. But then he realized that it wasn't really a mannequin because she blinked. And this person, this mannequin, or this person pretending to be a mannequin, actually almost fooled this person because everything about this person was stationary. Other people gathered around in front of the window for the purpose of trying to distract the woman portraying to be a mannequin. They did everything that they could to try to distract her. They were making fun of her. They were making faces at her. They were knocking and banging on the window. Everything they could to try to get her to move. But she stood her ground. And the reason why she stood her ground, because there was something far more important to her than pleasing folk outside of the glass. You wonder, what was more important to her than the people outside the glass? Well, what was more important to her was pleasing her employer, who was paying her to stand behind the glass. Now, how does that apply to us? Go to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Listen to what the word says. Hebrews 12, verse 2, in the Amplified Version says this, Looking away from all that will distract to Jesus, who is the leader and the source of our faith, giving the first incentive of our belief and is also its finisher, bringing it to maturity and perfection, he, meaning Jesus, for the joy of obtaining the prize which was you and I, that was set before him, endured the cross, despising and ignoring the shame, which is the distraction, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. For you and I to live a focused life, in a life untouched by worldliness, you and I are going to have to ignore the folks and other distractions on the other side of the glass, or in this world, so to speak. Proverbs 4.25 tells us this, Let your eyes look right on with fixed purpose, and let your gaze be straight before you. We know that Jesus faced many distractions, and he had plenty of opportunities to run and say, I don't want to do this anymore. Matter of fact, he prayed one day and said, Lord, if this cup can pass before me, yet he committed himself and said, Nevertheless, your will, Lord, not mine. He stayed with his purpose. He did not allow the distractions or, or the threat of death pull away from his mission. But he fulfilled God's purpose and he held his ground and he stayed focused on the prize. You and I need to stay focused on the prize. We, not, we cannot allow the world and everything around the world to distract us and take our eyes off of God. Cause us to, to panic. And become afraid. But simply keep your eyes on Lord and trust him. 
as I get ready to close. Because Jesus did not allow the distractions of this world to keep him from his mission, he was able to impact the world through his death and resurrection. And the question we have to ask ourselves is this. How can we impact the world? How can we impact the world that we live in? Let me start by sharing this illustration with you. There was a man who was who had a habit of traveling. And during his travels, he found out that he had a long layover. So he decided to wait in one of those American Airlines Admiral Club where they have uh, hostesses that would go around the patrons and, and offering drinks and whatever. And so he was sitting and one of the hostess came up to him and asked him, would you like a drink, sir? And the, the man, man says, sure, I'd like to have a drink. And the hostess brought him a glass of ginger ale. But she also brought him a dish full of snacks. Now, the man didn't order the dish full of snacks. Matter of fact, he didn't make any request for the dish full of snacks. As a matter of fact, he wasn't going to pay for the dish full of snacks. But what he found out later was that the dish of snacks was part of being a member of the club. But it was also a part of a planned evil. Listen, she brought the dish of snacks because it was full of salt. And the purpose or the goal of her bringing these salty snacks to his patron was to get him to order more drinks. Now, listen very carefully. The purpose of the salt was to create thirst. So that he can keep ordering and keep spending money. The more snacks he ate, the thirstier he became. The thirstier he became, the more drinks he ordered. And the more drinks he ordered, the more money he spent. That was the goal with these salty snacks. See, the idea is this. Our presence in this world should create a spiritual thirst so that we can lead people to the living water named Jesus. The Bible says in Matthew 5, verse 13, that we are the salt of the earth. And how many of you use salt at home? I use salt as well and hot sauce. But as we know, salt is a familiar household item. And what salt does is alters whatever it touches. Because salt flavors and preserves food, right? When you sprinkle salt on something that is bland and flavorless, you've enhanced it. You've made it taste much better. See, you've improved it. You've altered it. You've made it something different, something better. In the same way that we are to flavor the lives of people around us. So that by using our our actions, our, our behavior, our conduct, even our words. So that we can create a thirst in people and we can lead them to the living water. That's what it means to be the salt of the earth. Jesus says this in John 7 verse 37. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. 
But how can we make people thirsty? By being the salt of the earth. If we act more like the world, then we lose our saltiness. And how can we make people thirsty if we act like the world? And you know, as believers, when people see us, they should want what we have. When they see the light in us, they sh- that should give them hope. That should, that should cause them to say, I want what they have. That's what it means to make them thirsty. There's something about you, something about your lifestyle, something about your behavior that draws people to Jesus. That means you're creating a thirst in their lives. And they say, I've got to have what they have so that I can be satisfied like we as believers. Amen. I wish I had more time to cover because there are a couple of other things too, but I think this is a great time to end this. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, do we have another hour or so, John? Okay, now, right. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word tonight. We pray, Father God, that this word will, will, will fall on good grounds so that it can bear much fruit a hundredfold. And Father, we thank you that as we leave here, Father God, we leave here full. We leave here satisfied. We leave here, Father God, knowing that you've taught us, knowing that you've challenged us, and knowing, Father God, that, that you've shown us a way to be practical and be doers of your word. And so, Father, we thank you, Lord, tonight for showing up. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for the people that are here today that showed up to come hear your word in spite of the weather. We ask that you bless them, Father God, for their faithfulness. And, Lord, for this, we thank you in your precious son's name we pray.